0: plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: Hello and welcome to TLS Voices, brought to you by the Times Literary Supplement. I'm Adrian Towardin. The lead review in the TLS this week by David Coward is of a new French edition of Giacomo Casanova's Histoire de ma vie, or History of my Life. Coward opens his article by suggesting that Casanova is the prisoner of his legend, the Casanova of popular culture, is first cousin to Don Juan, a necromancer, a charlatan, a decadent hedonist, who womanised and swindled his way across Enlightenment Europe. But as Coward goes on to explain, there is more to his subject than this. Casanova had verbal duels with Voltaire and Benjamin Franklin, and helped out Lorenzo da Ponte with his libretto for Mozart's opera Don Giovanni. Contrary to popular perceptions of the heartless seducer, he was capable of falling in love. As Coward writes, For Casanova, desire had to be mutual, for sex without love, or at least feeling, is a vile thing. Born in Venice in 1725, Casanova attended the nearby University of Padua and seemed destined for a career in the church, but it soon became apparent that he was unsuited for it. His wanderings began early, and in 1744 he was forced to leave Rome under a cloud. As Coward reveals, at various times he was expelled from Venice, Paris, Stuttgart, Turin, London, Vienna, Florence, Poland and Spain for offences ranging from debt and fraud to outraging public morality. In July 1755 he was arrested in Venice for reasons unclear to him and imprisoned under the leads of the roof of the Doge's Palace. His daring escape took place in November 1756 and is vividly described in History of My Life. After further adventures in France, where he was briefly jailed for debt, he tried to sell a lottery ticket scheme to Frederick the Great, who offered him a job, and to Catherine the Great of Russia, who didn't. There was an unsuccessful trip to London in 1763, where he was spurned by the young courtesan La Charpillon, a rare failure. Duels alternated with bouts of venereal infection, In 1774, he returned to Venice after an absence of 18 years. There, he took up with an actress he had known in his youth, his last written words, I resumed my acquaintance with her daughter on far more tender terms, date from that year. Much of the remaining decade and a half of Casanova's life was taken up with the composition of his monumental memoirs. By writing them, he felt he could in some sense relive his experiences and stave off boredom. During that time, he was employed as librarian, by Count Waldstein at the Castle of Dukes near Prague. The great American critic Edmund Wilson called History of My Life the most interesting memoirs ever written. Well over a million words long, they were composed in slightly Italianate French. Coward explains that French was a lingua franca of Europe at the time, and would enable Casanova to reach more readers. In the nineteenth century the work fell into the hands of the Bowdlerizer Jean Laforgue, It wasn't until 1960 that an uncensored version finally appeared. There is an English edition of Casanova's memoirs, heroically and single-handedly translated by the American scholar Willard Trask in the 1960s. It is unlikely to be superseded. The passages you are about to hear are taken from Trask's translation of Volume 4. In the first of them, Casanova listens to his fellow prisoner, the renegade priest Father Balbi, describe the obstacles Casanova and his partners in crime are likely to face as they prepare to escape from the doge's
0: palace. The slope of the roof, covered as it is with lead plates, will not allow you to walk over it, for you can scarcely stand upright on it. The roof has seven or eight dormers, but they are all barred with iron and there is no way of reaching them to stand in front of them, for they are all distant from the edges. The ropes you have will be of no use to you, because you will find no place to which you could fasten one end securely, And even if you found it, a man descending from such a height cannot remain suspended by his arms or manage his own descent. So one of you three would have to put a rope around the other two, one at a time, and let them down as you let a bucket down into a well. And whoever did this would have to stay behind and go back to his cell. Which of the three of you feels inclined to perform this act of charity? And supposing that one of you is hero enough to be willing to remain behind... Pray tell me on which side you will go down. Not on the side toward the square and the pillars, for you would be seen. Not on the side toward the church, for you would still be shut in. Not on the side toward the courtyard of the palace, for the arsenalotti or workers in the arsenal, make constant rounds there. You can only go down on the side toward the canal. You have no gondola and no boat waiting for you, so you would have to throw yourselves into the water and swim as far as Santa Polonia, Which you would reach in a deplorable state, not knowing where to go at night to put yourselves in fit condition to continue your flight. Consider that it is slippery on the leads, and if you fall into the canal, you cannot hope to escape death, even if you can swim. For the height is so great, and the canal so shallow, that the fall would crush you to death before you could drown. Three or four feet of water are not a volume of fluid sufficient to lessen the violence of the descent of a solid body falling into it. The least that could happen to you would be to find you had broken your legs or arms.
1: Casanova tells us that he listened to this harangue with a patience which was not like me. But they persevere, as we hear.
0: I went out first. Father Balbi followed me. I told Sorodachi to put the lead plate back where it had been and dismissed him to pray to his Saint Francis. Down on my hands and knees, I got a good grip on my pike, and extending my arm, I pushed it slantwise into the joints between the plates, with the result that by using my four fingers to grasp the edge of the plate I had raised, I was able to help myself along to the top of the roof. To follow me, the monk had put the four fingers of his right hand into the belt of my breeches near the buckle, so that I was in the unhappy position of a beast of burden at once carrying and drawing and what is more, while climbing a slope wet from the fog. Halfway up this rather dangerous ascent, the monk told me to stop because one of his bundles had become loose from his neck and rolled down, perhaps no farther than the gutter. My first response was the temptation to give him a good kick. It would have been more than enough to send him hurrying after his bundle, but God granted me the strength to resist it. The punishment would have been too great for both him and for me, since all by myself I simply could not have got away. I asked him if it was the bundle of ropes, but when he said that it was the one in which he had put his black redding goat, two shirts, and a precious manuscript he had found under the leads, and which, he insisted, would make his fortune, I calmly told him that he must bear it patiently and go on. He sighed, and, still clinging to my behind, he followed me. After passing over fifteen or sixteen plates, I found that I had reached the ridge of the roof, on which, spreading my legs, I sat comfortably astride. The monk did likewise behind me. We had our backs turned to the small island of San Giorgio Maggiore, and two hundred paces ahead of us were the numerous domes of the church of San Marco, which forms part of the Dolge's palace. It is the Dolge's chapel. No monarch on earth can boast of having one equal to it. I at once got rid of my burdens and told my accomplice that he might do likewise. He managed well enough to put his bundle of ropes between his thighs, but his hat, which he tried to put there too, lost its balance and, after turning all the somersaults necessary to bring it to the gutter, dropped into the canal. My companion instantly succumbed to despair. "'A bad omen,' he said." Here I am at the beginning of our enterprise, without a shirt, without a hat, and without a manuscript which contained the precious and completely unknown history of all the festivals celebrated in the Palace of the Republic.
1: Casanova then finds resolve in an unlikely source.
0: Thoughtful, gloomy and baffled, I did not know what to do when a very natural occurrence had the effect of an extraordinary prodigy on my astonished soul. I hope that my sincere avowal will not lower me in the eyes of my philosophical reader if he considers that a man in a state of anxiety and distress is only half of what he can be in a state of tranquillity. The midnight bell sounding from San Marco just at that moment was the phenomenon which seized upon my mind and which, by a violent shock, delivered it from the dangerous doubt under which it was labouring. The bell reminded me that the day which was just then to begin was All Saints Day, If I had a patron saint, he must be among them. But what raised my courage still more, and actually increased my physical powers, was the profane oracle I had received from my dear Ariosto, between the end of October and the beginning of November. If a great misfortune makes a free thinker pious, it is almost impossible for him not also to become, in some degree, superstitious. The sound of the bell spoke to me, told me to act, and promised me victory. Lying prone up to my neck and bending my head down toward the small grating, I pushed my bolt into the frame which held it and I determined to break it and remove the grating in one piece. It took me only a quarter of an hour to smash all the wood which made up the four sides of the frame. The grating being now in my hands in one piece, I put it beside the dormer. I found it no more difficult to break away the glazed window, paying no attention to the blood flowing from my left hand which was slightly cut by a pane I pulled out.
1: Within a few pages he has made good his escape.
0: No sooner had we rounded the customs house than my gondoliers began vigorously cutting through the waters of the great Giudecca Canal, which has to be traversed to reach either Fusina or Mestre, the place to which I really wanted to go. When I saw that we were halfway down the canal, I said to the gondolier on the poop, ''Do you think we shall be at Mestre before fourteen o'clock?'' You told me to go to Fresina. You are mad, I said Mestre. The other gondolier said I was wrong, and Father Balbi, as a good Christian zealous for the truth, told me I was wrong too. I then laughed, admitting that I might have made a mistake, but that I had intended to say to Mestre. No one answered. My gondolier said that he was ready to take me to England. We shall be at Mestre, he said, in three quarters of an hour, for we have the current and the wind in our favor. I then turned and looked down the splendid canal, and seeing not a single boat, and admiring the most beautiful day one could hope for, the first rays of a magnificent sun just rising above the horizon, the two young gondoliers rowing at top speed, and thinking at the same time of the cruel night I had spent, of the place where I had been the day before, and of all the coincidences which had been favourable to me, feeling took possession of my soul, which rose up to a merciful God, setting the springs of my gratitude in motion, touching me with extraordinary power, and so profoundly that my tears suddenly found fullest vent to relieve my heart, which was choking from excess of joy. I sobbed. I cried like a child forced to go to school.
1: Many thanks to Mika ross sathel for these readings. You can read David Coward's essay on Casanova in this week's TLS. The issue also contains an exclusive extract from the first English translation of Secondhand Time by Svetlana Alexievich, winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature, the first English translation of an essay by Vladimir Nabokov, and all the latest reviews of new novels, as well as books about history, art, travel, and much more. To find out more about the TLS, and to read a free selection of articles from this week's issue, go to our website, the-tls.co.uk. You can read the TLS in full every week in print and via our app, which is available on iTunes and in the Amazon App Store. The TLS. Life in every word.